You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Hey, we're going we gonna to talk about something that's sometimes hard to talk about. We're going to talk about marriage. All the married people are going, oh, crap. We're going to talk about marriage. You know, we're in a marriage series, right, called Thrive. And here's my question. Is your marriage thriving? Is your marriage thriving? Because here's the thing. If it's not thriving, it might be dying. You know, I, I, I kind of tried to go into this, this message with the, with the mindset of, if your marriage isn't thriving, then it's dying. There is no room for middle ground, right? I mean, it's kind of like being pregnant. You either are or you ain't. Ain't no middle. Ain't no in-between. I wasn't expecting to get any laughs on that. My wife's pregnant. She is pregnant. Capital P. I've never massaged so many ankles in my entire life. And she ain't got but two. But every night. I'm massaging them bad boys. And not because I want to, because she's pregnant. I have to if I want to live. Just kidding. She's awesome. Um, Guys, today I want us to really focus on the fact that marriage is a labor of love. Okay? And I I don't want you to hear, crap, this is a marriage series. I'm single or I'm only dating or I'm divorced and I, 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 it's, this ain't for me. Let me tell you something. Marriage is an earthly representation of the relationship between Jesus Christ our Lord and his beloved church. Amen? Can we all agree on that? Raise your hand if you know what the church is. Hint. Everybody needs to raise their hand. You're all the church. Okay? All right? So if you're the church and he's still Jesus, it affects all of us. Amen? Hey, you ain't got to be married to go ahead and start praying over your marriage. Because let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little secret about marriage. It is hard. Hard work. I do marriage counseling, you know, premarital counseling for people who, who, who are going to get married. And they sit down in front of me, and the first thing I ask them is, why, why do you want to get married? Why do you want to do that to yourself? Like you got a maid. You can date. You can get in a fight. She goes home. You go to your house. No, 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 no harm. Why do you want to get married? And, and all joking aside, I do ask them, why do you want to get married? And I'll accept any answer except, well, it's the next logical choice. I've been with her this long. I, that makes me want to punch them in the face when they say something stupid like that. I can't think of a dumber reason to get married than that right there. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's important to understand why you're doing this because it's that important of a process. You know, our marriages are supposed to model the relationship between Christ and his church. And one of the things I have couples do is I always have them read the book of Ruth together. I, I think the book of Ruth is a, is, a, is a beautiful picture of that relationship. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm just going to preach just out of the book of Ruth, just using the scripture from the book of Ruth. So if you're not familiar with it, 
And I suggest any before chapters, go home and read it. It's awesome. Read it with your spouse. Uh, read it with your, 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 your fiancé, your girlfriend. You know, find somebody just to read it with. It's worth reading, I'm telling you. It's a good book. But today what I want us to do, I, I'm going to try my best. I got five points, and they're short. I want to share with you that will take your marriage from just simply existing to thriving. Amen? You with me? All right, let's pray real quick, okay, before we get started. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. God, we, 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 we want you here. But God, I'm so thankful that there are people here that are ready to just experience what you have to offer. God, I just pray that you would give us something today that not only brings us closer to you, God, but makes us better in our walk with you. God, I pray for the folk here at Vintage that are married. God, put a hedge of protection around their marriage, around their homes. God, for those about to enter into it, God, bless them. For those that have maybe coming out of it, God, watch over them. Let them know that you are not far away. God, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts as you open your word today. God, give me the words you'd have me say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 16. I'm going to read a couple verses here, but I'm going to set this up for you. If you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, here's what happens. There's this guy named Elimelech, and he marries a woman named Naomi, and they're Israelites, Okay? They have two sons, and they move to a place called Moab. Now, if you don't know anything about Moab, Moab was not Israel. It was the opposite. People in Israel hated people in Moab. People in Moab hated people in Israel, okay? They were not friends. They were enemies. But Elimelech and his wife and his sons go to Moab, and his sons marry two daughters from Moab. And life's good, and then all of a sudden, Elimelech dies. And then both of his sons die. And now you have a mother and two daughters-in-law in Moab when the story picks up, when it starts getting really good. Naomi goes to her two daughters-in-law, and she says, Hey, look, you were good wives to my sons. My husband has died. Now your husbands have died. You are not connected to me. Go back to your families because I'm going back home to Israel. Now, it could have very easily been in the story right there. One of those daughters-in-law does that. But one named Ruth says, oh, no. And so what we're going to pick up in is verse 16. I want you to hear what she says to her mother-in-law. The Bible says, and Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Man, that's beautiful right there. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, 
I will die. Your people will be my people. Point number one, don't let your past rob you of your future. Hey, church, listen to me. If your marriage is stale, if your marriage is in a, in, in a bad place, if you're battling adversity, if you have obstacles in front of you, listen to me. Don't let your past rob you of your future. There's too many people out here in a relationship, and all they're focused on is their past. Let, let, let me paint a different picture here. La, last weekend, my, my wife and, and, and girls, we went to, ba- to um, Concord Mills, right? And the only reason you go to Concord Mills is to go to Bass Pro Shop, right? Hello, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? So, so we walked all the way around that ungodly place because every other store is women's clothes. I don't know why men even go except for Bass Pro Shop and maybe Cinnabon, right? <laughs> um, and I, can't, I don't know who designed it. They put those things on opposite ends. I'm telling you. If they would put them beside Bass Pro Shop, they'd double their profits. But... We walked all the way around that place, and we get back to Bass Pro Shop, and uh, Tessa, my, my, my little four-year-old, she says, Dad, I want to go look at the boats. That's my girl. So we walk out, and we're looking at the boats. You know how they got little step ramps they can walk up and actually walk onto the boats? And she's walking on a boat, turning the steering wheel, and getting down, getting on another one. And the last boat she gets on, I said, this is the last one. We got to go. Starting to rain. It's this blue one. It was beautiful. She's like, Daddy, I like this one. It's blue. I said, Daddy likes it too, baby. <laughs> and I'm colorblind, but I like it. I like it. It's a good, <laughs> and it's on sale. But you might as well take a picture of it because Mommy ain't going to let us nowhere near it. Okay? Because Mommy's tight. Anyway, so she gets down, and she, we get down, and we're waiting for the rain to kind of ease up. She's like, Daddy, that's, I like that blue boat. That's a pretty blue boat. And if you've been to Bass Pro Shop, you know they got some boats under the under the, the awning there, and then they got some boats out exposed right next to the road. So we were, I said, the rain kind of lightened up. We were about to walk to the car, and I, I, I take off, and I said, I'm going to get in front of you because I want you to run out in front of a car. And so we walk out from under the awning, and there's a few smaller boats lower that you can actually just look over into before uh, we get to the curb. And I'm walking, right? So I'm walking, and she's behind me, and I turn around just in time, and this is what I see. She's walking towards me, but she's looking at that. Dad, I like that blue boat. I like that blue boat. And you know how, like, time stops right before something bad happens? She turns around, and before I can say, Tessa, no, she walks right into one of the motor props. Boom! Oh, yeah, that's what first service did. I didn't think it was that bad, but it was, it was awesome. Like, she busted out crying. It was incredible. Bent the prop. Um, she gets that from her mama. Um, bit, <laughs> I just thought there was going to be blood everywhere. I mean, you know, you don't have any padding right here, right? And uh, I might have some, but you don't usually have any padding right here. But she hits the prop of the motor, and I thought it would have busted her wide open, but it didn't. She's just standing there crying. You know, people think I beat my kids. She's got a big red bruise between her eyes, and I'm picking her up and get in the car, and I'm like, Rebecca's like, what is wrong with her? I said, dude. I mean, I love her. She's four, and I'd die for her right now. I said, she walked right into a motor prop. How stupid. Like, you got to be watching where you're going, you know? And we sit down, we laugh about that, but how many people are going through their marriage like that? You're looking that way, but you're going that way, right? 
So many marriages are on the rocks because people are consumed with either their past or the past of their spouse that they can't get past to get to what God has in store for them. Look at Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was born into a pagan land. She gets married. Her husband dies. She's now a widow. She has no children. She has no father-in-law. Women couldn't own property then. Her whole circumstance equaled worthless. Nothing. She would have either been raped or died begging for food or turned into a prostitute sell, sell her body just to make it through the day. That was her choice. Naomi says, I'm going to a foreign land. Ruth says, I'm going with you. Now, can I tell you this? The rights were the same in Israel. Just for Naomi, it would have been familiar territory. Can you imagine what Ruth felt? A widow? Nothing to look forward to? You're about to pack up everything that you own, leave your mother and your father, everything that was familiar to you, and go to a foreign land that worships a different God than you grew up worshiping, that speaks a different language, that has a different culture. And to make matters worse, you're going with your mother-in-law. There are times I wouldn't ride with my mother-in-law to the end of the driveway. I'm just picking. I love her. She's awesome. She really is. But think about that. Can you imagine? Less than that has caused people to live in obscurity. Less than that have caused people to put themselves in a shell and simply fade off into the sunset. But not Ruth. Just because her past wasn't shiny and beautiful didn't mean that her future had to be that way. And oh my, the faith it takes to take that first step. I'm going to challenge you today, if you're married, I'm going to challenge you to take a first step today. Because let me tell you something, it's not enough to simply live in your past. You were put on this earth with a purpose, for a purpose. And God has a plan for everybody here. What will you do? What will you do? How many steps will it take to get you to that plan, to that purpose? Don't let your past rob you of your future. You may sit there and say, Casey, you, you don't know anything about me. You don't know what I've experienced in my marriage. You don't know what, what my husband has done to me. You don't know what my wife has done to me. You don't know what I've done to me. And I say to that, you're right. But I know what God can do because I've, I've watched it. I've watched couples come to this church who were on the, the verge of saying, this is our last shot. If this doesn't work, we're filing papers tomorrow. And God gets a hold of them. Or God gets put where he belongs. And now their marriage is thriving. You can't live in the past 
if you're headed towards the future. Hey, church, it ain't how you start. It's how you finish. Point number two, thanks and recognition go a long way. Thanks and recognition go a long way. When's the last time you looked at your spouse and said, hey, I just want you to know how much I appreciate all you do for our family and for me? Well, when's the last time you said, hey, you know what? The yard gets mowed. The gutters get cleaned out. I just want to tell you thank you, and I appreciate the hard work that you put in. It's the last time you had that conversation. Look in Ruth 2. Ruth 2, chapter 10, or chapter 2, verse 10. This is a conversation between Ruth and Boaz. Now, let me explain this. When Ruth and Naomi get to Israel, There is, the way the culture worked, if, if, if a man who was a husband and father, if he died, the next person, usually his brother, would be the next in line. Their job was to come in, marry the, the dead brother's wife, so that the land and the family could continue on in the same bloodline. Okay, If the man had no brothers, then it was a cousin. Somebody else from that side of the family, a male, was to step up, and they were called kinsmen. Okay? Well, Boaz was a kinsman in the family of Elimelech. Elimelech's dead. Naomi comes back to, to Israel with Ruth. And Boaz is the person who's supposed to step in. Now, there's actually a person in front of him, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Boaz is a kinsman. Because remember what I said. If Naomi and Ruth come back to Israel and nothing changes, they're still going to starve because they can't own land. They can't grow any food. But Boaz owns all these fields, and he allows Ruth to come and gather wheat to make bread for her and Naomi. Now, I want you to listen to this conversation that he and Ruth have. This is one of the first conversations they have. It starts in verse 10. It says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been showed unto me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and mother in the land of your birth, and have come to the people which thou knewest not before. The Lord will repay your work, and a full reward will be given to thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. Now listen to that dialogue. What I hear when I, when I hear that, that dialogue is the attitude of thankfulness and recognition. She's thanking Boaz for allowing her to glean in his field. He's recognizing the love she's shown towards her mother-in-law by leaving everything that was comfortable and coming to a new land so her mother-in-law didn't have to live by herself. And so I ask that question again. When was the last time you thankfully recognized all that your spouse does? When was the last time? Let me tell you this story. If you've been around me for five minutes, you've heard me talk about my grandparents. They raised me. 
and, and, and they taught me everything that was worth knowing that was good in this world. They were, I have memory after memory after memory about them, but the memories that stick out the most about their relationship was that every time you saw them, they were holding hands. Even when I was a little kid, well, I had never been little, but when I was a kid, I remember them holding hands. And not just walking, but like sitting on the couch, watching TV, holding hands. Whenever my grandpa would, would drive somewhere, he'd get out of the truck, always walk over, open the door, he'd stick his hand out for my grandma to grab a hold of. In their older, older age, you know, they would, they would hold hands as they walked up the steps. As they sat on the porch in the rocking chair, they'd hold hands as they were rock. They would always grab each other's hand before they said grace, before a meal. That's my earliest memories of them, of their relationship, of their marriage, was them holding hands. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. I never once heard my grandmother say, Max, I want to recognize the fact that you go to work every day and work 16, 18 hours in the sawmill, come home and provide for us. I never heard her say that. I never heard him say, Mary Lee, I want to thank you that every time I come home, there's a meal prepared on the table for me, and you're a heck of a cook. Never heard him say that. But what I saw was everything they experienced together, every mountaintop, every valley, they did it hand in hand, stride for stride. They modeled for me that no matter what they encountered in this world, they would do it together. And a thought popped in my head this morning on the way to church. I wonder if they held hands so much because they just wanted to know, let each other know that they were there in the moment together. Hey, I'm here. I'm thankful for you. I recognize you, and I love you. I got a hold of you, and I ain't never letting go. If your marriage isn't where it needs to be, maybe you just need to reach out and grab the hand of your spouse and let them know that you're there. Let them know that, hey, it ain't been easy, but oh my, it's been worth it. Maybe that's all the affirmation they need. I've said this before. My wife never has to tell me she loves me. Whenever I go home and I see her car in the driveway, I know she loves me because she's still there. <laughs> but you know how I know I'm appreciated? She grabs a hold of my hand. We were walking in Concord Mills. Bass Pro Shops disappearing in the background. She grabs a hold of my hand. Man. Ain't nothing like it. Or, or on a Saturday night, we'll put the kids to bed. We'll sit on the couch. We'll watch Andy Griffith's show. She'll reach over and grab my hand. And much more thanks than that for me. I can't speak for you. But, man, what if it was that easy? What if it was that easy to say, you know what? 
Satan, I'm not going to let you into this home. I'm not going to let you into this marriage. I'm not going to let you keep digging up my past and reminding me of the past of my past or the past of my spouse or the, the past heartaches we've had in our marriage. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to grab a hold of my spouse's hand and I'm going to hang on. Because that's what conquers evil is love, right? Hey, church, you can't let your past rob you of your future. But thankfulness and recognition go a long way. Point number three, believe redemption is always possible. Believe redemption is always possible. In Ruth 3, look at verse 10. It says, and he said, this is Boaz talking to Ruth, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than in the beginning, inasmuch as thou hast followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the, in all the city of my people now know that you are a virtuous woman. Think about how this story started. Ruth, widow, childless, homeless, worthless. Now, because of redemption, she now has a home. She's about to have a husband. She's about to have a son. And Boaz calls her virtuous. From worthless to virtuous. What gets us there? Redemption. Remember earlier when I said that Boaz was a kinsman for their family? Guess what the word kinsman means? Redeemer. You see, it doesn't matter where your marriage has been. It has no factor on where it can go when redemption is always possible. Hey, you can't have redemption without a redeemer. Amen? Hey, the story takes a totally different turn if you take Boaz out of it. He is the redeemer for her family. He redeems her because she had nothing until she met him. Let me give you some definitions. The word redemption. The word redemption is a purchasing back of something that had been lost by a payment of ransom. To purchase back something that had been lost through a payment of ransom. Guess what? She was able to experience redemption because the Redeemer was willing to pay a price to bring her back into the fold. Redemption's always going to cost the Redeemer something. Let's look at what the word Redeemer means. The person charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his or her wrongs. The one responsible, the one whose duty is to restore one back or to avenge his or her wrongs. Redemption is impossible without a redeemer. But when there's a redeemer, redemption is always possible. Church, listen to me. A lot of people think the, the, the focus of the book of Ruth is love. It's not love. It's Jesus. Boaz is a representation of Jesus. Ruth is a representation of the world. 
What did Jesus do? He paid the ultimate ransom. He paid his life. His precious blood was shed on Calvary's cross so that you could have redemption. I could have redemption. Ruth could have redemption. All God's creation could have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't bail on your marriage before the blessing has an opportunity to show up. You want your marriage to grow? You want it to get stronger? You've got to believe redemption is possible. And that brings us to our next point. Never forsake your first love. Never forsake your first love. Hey, if redemption is possible, it's only possible because there's a redeemer. You want your marriage to be redeemed? You've got to focus on the redeemer. Can I tell you something? I, I hear the word, I, I'm, a, I'm a principal, and I hear the word love used all the time. Oh, so-and-so, they're, they're, they're dating, they're, they're dating, they're dating, they're in sixth grade, nobody can drive, they're dating. Don't even know the last name of their boyfriend or girlfriend, but they're dating. Mr. Harris, I'm dating him. Oh, really? Where do you go other than school? Nowhere. But we dating. No, you're not. No, you're not. I won't allow it. But in there, that's most people's idea of love. And think about it. If your idea of love is skewed, how much more skewed is going to be your idea of marriage? What most people enter into with marriage is not love. It's lust. We're going to call a spade a spade. Or it's something else. Let me tell you how I know. Because the only way to know true love is to know Jesus. And if you go into a marriage without knowing Jesus, you can't know true love. You can't. If you don't know Jesus, you can't know true love because Jesus is true love. And everything else is sin. You can't forsake your first love. If your marriage isn't all it could be, or if you're struggling to find how, how to fall in love with your spouse again, put Jesus at the center of your life. Let your spouse put Jesus at the center of their life so that Jesus can be the center of your marriage. That's how you find true love. That's how you get back to your first love. Your first love isn't your spouse. It's Jesus. And oh my, what would the divorce rate look like if people would start living that way? In Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, there's just one little phrase I want to go over. These are some women that gather around Naomi, and this is what they say to her. Blessed be the Lord, with which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. These women come around Naomi and they say, hey, blessed be the Lord. Thank God that you were not left without a redeemer. Can I tell you something, church? You're here today, but I want to make sure you hear it said. You were not left without a redeemer. You were not left without a redeemer. You were not here by mistake. You were not here by chance. You were not here by fate. You were here because of the divine 
providence of an almighty God to experience his love for you. Ruth's life wasn't a life of chance. It's what happened to her. But praise God, God wasn't done with her. God's not done with you. Don't bail before the blessing. Hey, church, listen to me. Love is always, always, always a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Okay? You hear people say, oh, God, that person makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That's gas. That's not love. The greatest love is chosen love. The same choice that kept Jesus nailed to the cross. Hey, in one millisecond, he could have come down and killed everybody that put him there, but he didn't. He stayed nailed to the cross because chosen love is the greatest love. God does not use you like a puppet and put you into these scenarios to see how you react because he's got nothing better to do. Hey, Christianity is the greatest religion on earth because it's all about your choice. Not about what you have to do. Jesus has already done it. It's up to you to choose it. If we could understand that, I think our marriages would be a lot stronger. Guys, marriages work because it's a choice. True love is a choice. Last one, I'm going to shut up. You want your marriage to get stronger. You want to learn how to fall in love all over again with your spouse. You got to be in it to win it. You got to be in it to win it. Can I tell you something? Your marriage is going to impact somebody, whether you have children or not. Your marriage will influence somebody. It will have a positive or a negative impact on someone else. What kind of impact do you want to have? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I just shared with you, my grandparents, the, the, the impact they left on me because they modeled it every day. Their marriage wasn't perfect, but they modeled a marriage to me that made an impact on my life because one day I was going to get married. And I'm going to stand up here and tell you, my marriage with my wife is not perfect. Let me tell you why. Because I'm in it. She's awesome at marriage. That'll give me some brownie points, right? She's awesome at it. I'm the one that screws up all the time. But I had an example to follow. You know? And and I, I pray every single night that our marriage will be an example for our children. I want my, I want my daughters to understand what a, what, a, what a healthy marriage looks like. Not a perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage. But a healthy one. One that, that their mother and I pray over. You know, when's the last time your kids heard you pray, God, bless our marriage. God, help, help us to make it a priority. God, protect it. Don't let the devil in this place. I never will forget a few, I guess a couple months ago, Tilly and I, were, we're, we get up sometimes on Saturday morning and we go eat breakfast and 
I'll lay my hand on the armrest in my truck, and sometimes she'll grab a hold of my hand, and she'll, she'll rub my calluses right there on my hand. And she'll say, Daddy, why are your hands so rough? And I said, let me tell you something. Don't you ever marry a man that ain't got calluses on his hands. Man's got calluses on his hand. He works. He does something. If you don't have calluses, I apologize. Well, about a month later, Rebecca was telling me, she said she put the girls to bed. And she said, you know, they'd been to bed about an hour. And she walked by and she heard them talking. And she kind of stood outside the door of the bedroom to hear what they would say. You know, a, a seven-year-old and a, and a four-year-old, that's a pretty deep conversation, right? And uh, Tilly and Tessa were laying in the same bed. And, and she said she heard Tilly, who's seven. She said, Tessa? Hold your hand up. She says, I want to tell you something, girl. Don't you ever marry a man that ain't got calluses on his hands? <laughs> you laugh, but they're listening. They're listening, and they're watching. Did you hear me, church? They're listening, and they're watching. What's your marriage going to be? You going to leave a legacy? Because that's the calling God's put on your marriage. Hey, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to force anything here. But I want you to understand that no matter what season you may be in, no matter what obstacle or adversity you are facing or will face or have faced, there is nothing in this world that is too hard for our God. Today, maybe you leave here and you say, hey, you know, I need to quit focusing on my past because it's robbing me of what God wants me to experience in my future. Or maybe you leave here and you say, you know what, I need to I need to thank and recognize my spouse more. Or maybe you leave here and you say, hey, <laughs> we, need to, uh, <laughs> we need to get back. Back to recognizing our first love. Or maybe today, you, for the first time, you considered your marriage as a legacy. And you need to be more future-minded. I don't know. I don't know you in your marriage. Quite frankly, I'm too busy worried on mine, working on mine. It's work. But oh my, how worthwhile is it? Church, I want to ask you to stand, please. And every head bowed, every eye closed. I, <clears throat> I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what you're looking for. But I do know this. We don't serve a God that wants to see your marriage fail. We don't serve a God that wants to see you simply exist in complacency with your marriage. That's not the relationship your marriage is supposed to be an example of. We don't serve a God that wants your marriage to be a horrible example for the next generation. What needs to happen? Maybe today 
You need to put Jesus back into the center of your life and in your marriage. And every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here and you've never heard about Jesus before. God's word says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he will save you. That's step one. It's not some long prayer. It's not some list of accomplishments you have to check the box for. It's simply faith. We are saved by grace from God through our faith in him. If that's a decision you made, would you lift your hand up? Nobody's looking but me. I just want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I know Jesus, but I've just been leaving him out of my marriage. Your marriage doesn't have to be falling apart, but maybe it's not where it could be. If you'd like some prayer for your marriage, would you just lift your hand up? I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to pray for you. Amen. 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 I want to remind you, church, this altar's open. First service took a huge advantage of this. I saw husbands and wives grabbing each other by the hands, coming down and praying over their marriage. The invitation's for you as well. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the example that you provide us with in Jesus. God, help us. Help us as we go back to our homes, to our families, to our friends, to be the light that you would have us shine. God, I'm sick and tired of watching the devil destroy marriage after marriage after marriage here at Vintage. God, I pray right now that you would just eradicate him, that you would bind him, that you would keep him out of the homes that are represented in our congregation today. God, that you would kick him out. God, that you would build a hedge of protection around these marriages, that you would strengthen them, that you would draw husband and wife closer together. God, as they pursue you, God, I pray for Vintage Church. God, that that you would continue to use us to spread your word because that's what changes people. God, we thank you for all that you're doing. God, I thank you for those that are starting right now to work on their marriage by grabbing the hand of their spouse or by coming up front to pray. God, bless them. Bless them and keep them. And we'll give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.